Hey guys, I'm Jeff Kemp from Little Rock, Arkansas, fighting the good fight with you. Hey, I'm married to Stacy. I have four grown and married sons, and I got some close buddies that I walk through life with. It's my huddle, and I don't think I'd make it without Jesus Christ and my huddle of close buddies. So, hey, fight the good fight. Can't wait to see what you guys are doing together as we spread God's kingdom through men who stick together with Christ as brothers. Have a great time. Hey guys, it's Jeremy, and I'm your host for this global live stream. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, I'd like to welcome you. You are joining tens of thousands of men who are with you, behind you, and striving just like you to be God's man. Now, to help us get ready for today's study, let me ask you this question. Have you ever held a grudge? Have you ever wanted to, you know, stick it to someone because they hurt you in some way? Now, the bottom line is that every one of us at some point along this journey will be let down or hurt by someone else. Now, sometimes we know right away because we hear it, see it, and experience it directly. But, you know, in other cases, maybe we got used to it, like it was normal, and we don't realize it until many years or decades later. Just think about it. A dad left us. A friend that betrayed us. A business partner stole from us. Perhaps someone abused us. Now, there are men listening right now who have spouses that have given up on them. Welcome to Broken Humanity. Now the common denominator of all hurt is that you get sad and then mad. Now most men stuff their hurts and walk around with it quietly and never talk about it until they have to, are forced to, or the pain is greater than the need to hide it anymore. Now other men walk around with a big fat chip on their shoulder, determined that no one will ever hurt them again, trying to control everyone and everything to self-protect against future injury. Now, if you're a man of faith, I want you to listen closely. Jesus predicted such pain and showed us a better way to handle it. His way? It's forgiveness. And you're thinking, really? But sorry, that's what he said. It's not me. Jesus says there's no way around it. Now, if you want to live and experience joy again as a human being, there's just one catch. If you have not experienced it at a deep level, it's hard to offer it. Worse, if you have experienced it and if you don't offer it. That's the big if. That's the big if that could make or break your future forever with God and people. Now, do you know anyone struggling with broken relationships or battling to forgive someone? I want you to do something right now. I want you to share this live stream. That way you can help them right now. Now, without further ado, let's join men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck from the Everyman Studios in Southern California for part four of the big if. Hey guys, welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. I'm Kenny Luck, and uh, if you have a Bible uh, with you right now, uh, you wanna hold two spots, uh, one in Luke chapter four and one in Matthew 18. Those are gonna be our main texts uh, for this morning. We're in part four of a series called The Big If, and the big idea of The Big If uh, is this, that language shapes relationships, right? You need language in order to connect and interact in relationships, some form of it. And in the big if, what we're saying is that one of the clearest forms of speaking in any lexicon or language is when someone says, if you will do this, then I will do this. I mean, it's a very clear condition and promise that if we do something, something else will happen. And can I just say that the Bible is a very iffy 
book. God uses that language. In fact, of its 3,573 promises, right, most of those promises are set up with the conditional language using the word if. Now, why is that? Why does God choose to use conditional language that promises that if we do something, he will do something? It's because he wants to be clear. You can't have a more clear type of statement than a conditional statement. If you do this, I'll do this. He wants to give us clear options. He wants to show us that here's how the relationship works, and if you do it this way, right, we'll connect more fully and we'll connect more deeply. Now, when it comes to Jesus himself, uh, in the New Testament, there's 574 uh, conditional statements using the word if. Over half of those are in the four gospels. And so Jesus uses it for the same reason. Why? Because he wants to be clear. He wants to give clear options in the relationships. Amen to that, right, man? He loves us, all right? He doesn't want uh, a relationship with him to be confusing or mysterious. He wants it to be clear. But more importantly, Jesus wants you to connect with him deeply and fully. So what we're going to do in today's study, like we've done in each of the studies, is we're going to have three segments, all right? And the, the themes of each segment uh, has a word that begins with E. The first segment, we're going to elevate God's word, all right? Why do we do that? Why do we elevate, lift up, raise the value of God's word? Because when we do that, we will have the right mindset when we hear the words of Jesus. Secondly, we're going to examine a big if statement of Jesus. In part one, we examined, if you keep my word, you love me. In part two, we looked at, if you believe, you will receive. In part three, we looked at, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. We look at the big if statements of Jesus. So we're going to examine one this morning, which we'll get to in a second. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time expressing what the promise and condition is what the big if statement actually means for us practically, and we're gonna make some application. So let's start with the first segment where we're gonna elevate God's word. And if you were with us last week, uh, we, we talked about how we don't advance in God without regular, close contact with the word of God. This week, we're gonna talk about how we don't defeat the enemy of God without deploying the Word of God. It's one thing to be in close contact with a weapon, know it, load it, have bullets in the magazine, but it is a whole nother thing when you actually engage the fight. Imagine you engage the fight, but you don't pull the trigger. The ammo is of no consequence. And that's where we're going to go now as we elevate the Word of God. We're going to watch Jesus in the octagon, all right? advancing in God, winning a victory, but he does it by deploying, putting into the battle the word of God. And this is where every man of God needs to watch the son of God deploy the word of God. All right, let's roll the film in Luke chapter four and just kind of pay attention to this encounter uh, with Jesus that's trying to get him to compromise his relationship with God. It says this in Luke chapter four, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And listen to this last statement. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Jesus in the octagon, he comes out victorious. He does not compromise his relationship with God and he defeats the enemy, listen, by deploying the word of God into the moment of temptation to compromise. And so we're going to unpack this and just look at four things that helps us win the spiritual battle. Write this down. I win the spiritual battle by believing the word of God. All right? And some of you might be just thinking, well, believing what? Exactly. All right? Well, Jesus, Jesus experienced a supernatural attack. And when you have a supernatural attack with a supernatural enemy making supernatural and evil suggestions to you, to get you to compromise your relationship with God, you can't fight with natural weapons. You can't fight a supernatural attack with a natural weapon. Remember that. You need a supernatural weapon. You gotta fight fire with fire. You have to have a weapon that overpowers the attack against you. And yet that's a big mistake that a lot of us make. We hear a suggestion in our mind to compromise our relationship with God, and we say to ourselves things like, oh, I'm stronger than that, or I would never uh, do that. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't do that? All right? He believes that he has to deploy a supernatural weapon to repel a supernatural attack. The second thing that we see Jesus doing in this passage after believing the word of God is as the weapon of choice is he, he's owning the word of God. All right? He's owning the word of God. Now, that word own, what's the opposite word? Renting. See, either you own your house or you rent. All right? And we see Jesus owning the word of God. Now, when you own something, what does that mean? It means it's yours. It means that you're intimate with it. You're familiar with it. You know how it works. You know its capacities. All right? It's yours. Just think about a guy who owns maybe a piece of equipment that he knows better than you. All right? He owns it. And then he'll show you all the little inner workings of that piece of equipment. Why? Because he owns it, it's his, it belongs to him, he's familiar with it, he's intimate with it, he knows how it works, he knows its capacities. And that's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus owns the word of God versus renting the word of God, right? 
when, when, you're, when you're renting something, your attachment to it is different than when you own it. You care more when you own, right? I think all of us can relate to that. The third thing that we see uh, Jesus doing is we see him speaking the word of God. Now, that might be uncomfortable uh, for some of us, uh, and you know we just don't go speaking God's word randomly, but man, in, in the octagon, when there is a thought suggesting that Jesus compromise his relationship with God in any way, man, he meets the lie with a solid punch of truth and knocks the lie down. We see Jesus do this, uh, and, and when I think about uh, what he does in this passage, it, I, I, I imagine um, you know, having a magazine uh, for a rifle and having you know, power-stopping ammo in the magazine. You know, just it'll stop whatever power is coming at you. Uh, but imagine a soldier whose magazine is loaded with bullets and the enemy is attacking, but he's not doing this. He's got the gun, he's got the ammo, but the ammo is of no consequence if it's not being shot downrange at what's coming. And, and that's what I see happening with many men of God. Uh, they might believe the word of God is a supernatural weapon, uh, they might even own or possess the Word of God. They're familiar with it, but they don't deploy it. They don't speak it into the situation. You know, can I just tell you, if you had a camera and, and we were doing uh, Kenny Luck Unplugged and you just kind of followed me around, uh, you would think in certain moments of my day that I'm talking to myself. When I'm not actually talking to myself, I'm talking, with the, I'm talking to the evil one and I'm saying something that is a truth from God's word right into a suggestion to do something I know compromises my relationship with God. So we see Jesus believing the word of God, owning the word of God, speaking and deploying the word of God. And then we see Jesus in this passage returning to the word of God. Three suggestions, all right? Three returns to the word of God. Boom, boom, boom. You see, what we have to realize is that all compromise and unfaithfulness, listen guys, in your relationship with God, begins with accepting a simple suggestion. Do you notice that, you know, Satan doesn't come at Jesus uh, with a physical attack. Um, he comes at him with a subtle but very powerful attack, a suggestion. Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness. He's hungry. Little suggestion to break his his fast by saying, hey, you know, if you're the son of God, you know, if you, if you can do this, why don't you turn that stone into bread? Pretty tempting when you're hungry, right? But Jesus doesn't break his fast or break his commitment or compromise his relationship with God. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, right? He returns over and over again. So all compromise and unfaithfulness begins by accepting a suggestion, listen, all victory over temptation and evil suggestion begins in real time with three real words. It is written. Now, there's a verse from the Psalms that kind of captures this whole picture as we elevate the word of God and close out the segment. It says this, in Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31, it says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. 
his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart and his steps. Listen, do not slip. What does that mean? It means that he's not going backwards, right? You see a man advancing, he's on a journey, his, his feet don't want to slip, and if you work it back, the law of God, the word of God is in his heart, and when the moment comes, he utters it, and it says his tongue speaks uh, justice. Now, justice, uh, the word, means to give what is due, right? So, uh, in the moment, the man of God gives what is due, and he speaks God's word into that moment, and his feet do not slip. I don't know about you, but I don't like slipping. I don't like going backwards. Uh, I want to reach my destination, and I definitely want to reach my destination in my relationship with God, but to reach my destination in my relationship with God and experience his power and experience his anointing and experience uh, his, his purposes flowing into me and through me, I have to be familiar with this book, intimate with this book. I have to believe his word. I have to own it. I have to speak it. I have to return to it over and over again, not just when I am sitting in the morning having a cup of coffee, studying it and memorizing it, but I have to put it into what my Air Force buddies like to call kinetic action, all right? This book is a weapon. The Bible says it's the sword of the spirit, and it needs to be thrust into the battle in the moments where you are tempted to compromise your relationship with God. Now, let's move on to our second, uh, our second segment, which is to examine a big if statement by Jesus. Uh, and we're, this morning, we're talking about a big if statement related to the topic of forgiveness, one of the hugest themes in the Bible. Right? And one of the hardest things that I think any man uh, can say and really mean it and have it take its full emotional effect in his life are these words, I forgive you. Now, the reason we lifted this uh, topic and theme into today's study and into this series um, is because it's at the center of our relationship with God and it's at the center of our relationships uh, with, with people. And so we have to see what God's word, what Jesus says on this topic of forgiveness, because it can transform your life forever and transform your relationships, or it can destroy your relationship with God and your relationships with people. So let's roll the film in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, the context is, is that... Uh, Peter, the disciple, is asking Jesus, how many times do we forgive people? You know, Peter is wondering if there's a stop loss on forgiving others. And so Jesus responds uh, to Peter and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave 
his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will, I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The parable of the debtor is one of the most powerful stories on our relationship with God and our experience of God and our expression of what we have experienced. And it's just loaded with tension, story, magnitude, and that's really where I want to start as we talk about then if Jesus says, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, there's consequences, huge consequences for your relationships with God and relationship with other people. So let's get into the application now of this big if statement by Jesus. And, and number one, we need to look at how forgiveness, write this down, involves remembering the magnitude of my debt. In the story, it says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors uh, who was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, uh, that those verses, to start off the story, the context, uh, when, when the disciples hear Jesus say uh, he's owed 10 mil millions of dollars, uh, the original language is 10,000 talents. Uh, now, what I did was a simple Google search. Uh, what does 10,000 talents mean in today's currency? It's about $4.3 billion. So when you look at the servant and the master and the magnitude of the debt that he has before God, you just go, no way. You ever said that? You look at something, you assess it, and you just go, no way. And the reason Jesus sets this up that way to create such magnitude is, is that the magnitude of the debt is synonymous with the magnitude of the forgiveness. Four bucks is different than four billion being forgiven. And there is a, a concurrent magnitude of appreciation. If I'm forgiven four bucks, it's like, mm, you know, if I'm forgiven, if I owe and there's punishment related to the forgiveness of four billion and I'm there's no way I can do it. And then because of 
the pity and generosity of the per of my creditor, he says, all right, guess what? I'm going to forgive your debt. The level of appreciation is going to go north, like geometrically, right? That's why Jesus sets up this, because in the holiness department, in the righteousness department, um, Jesus has forgiven us our debt. There's, there's not even close to enough holiness and perfection to enter heaven. But Jesus, in going to the cross, the magnitude of that moment, uh, we have to realize it and we have to recognize just how far in debt we are. If you've ever been in debt and you've managed to pay it back, it's such a relief to be free of your debt. And you see, we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Now, that in and of itself, if you personally recognize what happened between you and Jesus and what happened on the cross and you receiving his person and work that he did for us to pay our sins, to pay our debt before God, our magnitude of appreciation should be up here. In fact, when Jesus would talk about how passionate certain people were, like in Luke 7, and the woman who pours the perfume on Jesus' feet to worship him, and she's, she's crying, and she's in tears, and the host of the party sees this happen, and he says to himself, if he only knew who was at his feet. The prostitute is at the feet of Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you know, she's, she's forgiven much, so she loves much. But the person who feels forgiven little loves little. See, that's why we need to remember the magnitude of what Jesus did. We have to remember the magnitude of how far in the hole before God we were. And because of his generosity, uh, he lifted us out. You see, when you're forgiven much, there is a personal, emotional lift that happens. And maybe some of you who are watching us this morning, you're walking around with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and you feel like you're unworthy uh, before God. But you have to realize this morning that God wants to forgive no matter how big your sin is, the magnitude of your debt. The second thing we need to look at when it comes to forgiveness, after remembering the magnitude of my debt, is forgiveness involves recognizing what is truly needed. You see, when you see the servant um, you know, react and in, in the passage in verses 18 to 26. It says this, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then, and there's the pivot point, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. All right? Now, it's the request to be patient with him. Um, any man listening at that point would be, would be laughing because the debt was so big. The promise, just be patient with me and I'll pay it all back, it didn't make any sense. As if all this guy needed was more time. But what he truly needed 
right, was not more time because that would have never happened. What he truly needed was not time, but forgiveness. Right? So the master recognizes what this person really needs. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't need time. He doesn't need patience. What he needs is he needs his debt forgiven. And, and that's a message to you and I. If you don't know Jesus, and you're watching this and you're curious, um, you don't need more time uh, to figure things out. What you need is to get forgiven of your debt before God. If you're a Christian, uh, you don't need more time to kind of do your own plan on a certain issue or to, to work something out. You just need to ask God to forgive you. You need to go right for what is needed. And that is what the, the master recognizes. He recognizes what's truly needed. What we truly need is forgiveness. What someone else truly needs from you, uh, if they've hurt you or they're indebted to you in any way, what they need to hear is the relief of you're forgiven. Third, forgiveness involves resisting feelings and acting in faith. Write that down. Forgiveness involves resisting feelings and acting in faith. So now we leave the scenario where the servant is forgiven by the master, and then he feels probably great relief. And then what does he do? Well, it talks about it in verses 28 through 30. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So you see the juxtaposition of the servant's response next to the master's response. The master is filled with pity and forgives. That was his process. The, the servant, upon after experiencing pity and forgiveness on the part of the master, he grabs the dude by the throat, all right, after just experiencing that. And the Bible says here that the creditor, the servant, wouldn't wait, not that the creditor couldn't wait. You see, we have a choice. He made a choice. He could have waited. He could have done the right thing. He could have forgiven just a few thousand dollars. It's not four billion, it's a few thousand. So he could have waited. He could have resisted his feelings. He could have shown pity and mercy and been generous with forgiveness. But you know, that requires suspending how he felt because clearly he had some feelings about this guy because he grabbed him by the throat. He could have suspended his feelings and acted in faith just like the master did with him. But he didn't. And that's what forgiveness involves. There's what we feel we have a right to do, hold a grudge. There's a feel, there's a, there's a sense that we have a right to feel certain things, resentment, bitterness. Um, but it takes a step of faith to suspend those feelings and do what is right. And, and that's a big theme in this. There are some of you, you have relationships that are fragmented, people have hurt you, and man, you feel like you want to stick it to them. You want to give it back. Or you want to give them nothing. You just, you just, you're icing them. 
You're giving them the cold shoulder. You're non-communicative. You're withdrawing. And you're being controlled by your feelings and not by your faith. And that's, that's the message that Jesus wants to tell us this morning, that and in our relationship with him, if his feelings controlled the relationship, none of us are going to heaven. But Jesus in the garden said, my heart is filled with sorrow to the point of death, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. So Jesus replaces how he feels to go to the cross so that we can experience forgiveness, and he replaces his feelings in the moment and discomfort with faith in God and in God's will. And you know, God is calling some of us right now watching this, this live stream right now to do the same thing in a relationship that you have. Why? Because that's what Jesus did with us. He resisted his feelings and in faith said, yet not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. And you're in one of those moments right now, maybe. Or maybe you know a friend who is in one of those moments with a wife or a child or a business partner or someone who might have abused them. And the issue is not bitterness. It's not holding on. The issue is forgiveness and letting go for you or for them and for their relationships with God and for their relationships with other people. But to forgive, we've got to resist feelings and act in faith, right? Next, forgiveness involves realizing the destruction I will bring through a lack of forgiveness. The story goes on in verses 31 and 32 and says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king who had forgiven him and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. So you see how a lack of forgiveness not only destroyed the relationships the servant had with his friends and fellow servants, but it damaged and angered, damaged his relationship with God and angered God that he didn't offer the same forgiveness to his fellow servant who pleaded uh, with him. And you see the destruction falls on the man, the destruction falls on his relationships with others, they become very upset because he's not paying that, that generosity and that forgiveness forward and relief forward. And the destruction occurs in his relationship uh, with the king. So we have to realize the destruction that a lack of forgiveness brings. And that pain of that should motivate us to then offer forgiveness. Next, forgiveness involves repeating what God has modeled. Um, we roll the film and we continue the conversation in verses 33 and 34. After the king says, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me, then says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And um, you see those words, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? You see, there's an expectation of repetition, all right? God wants us to repeat what he has modeled for us in our relationship with him. We had a massive debt. 
He resisted going with feelings and went with faith. Jesus goes to the cross and he forgives us. He pays a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could never pay. So that's our experience. And as Jesus is talking to his followers, his guys, he's just going, you know what there's an expectation of? There's an expectation of repetition of the core experience that brought you into relationship with me. Now, I realize, even as I'm saying this, that forgiveness doesn't mean that we have a cozy relationship with the people who hurt us. I don't know the relationship in the story. It's not said between the king and the servant who did this. But there is an expectation that you will release that person and you will release the hurt and you will do what God has modeled with you for yourself, for your relationships with others, and your relationship with him. Perhaps not for your relationship with the person who hurt you. That may be reconciled, that may not be reconciled. But certainly for your own emotional health and spiritual health, the health of your relationships and the health of your relationship with God, we need to repeat what is modeled. Now, what I want you to not miss is how the king was angered. The king is Jesus in the story, and the message that he sends to his disciple is when a mercy-receiving debtor becomes a judgment-giving destroyer, yeah, that upsets the king, all right? Now, what does that mean for you and I? When Kenny Luck, a mercy-receiving sinner, becomes a judgment-giving destroyer, that's going to upset my king. It's going to upset my king that I'm not giving away to other people in my life what he generously gave to me. And you know what? When the world is watching Christians, or even when other Christians are watching Christians, and they see how judgmental Christians are, not just with non-Christians, but with other Christians, I think we're forgetting about our forgiveness. And we're not repeating what God has modeled. And not only are we distancing ourselves from God, and he has feelings about acting like that, but we're distancing ourselves from other Christians, and we're distancing ourselves from a watching world that says, hey, what is this Christianity thing all about? What's so special about Christianity? And what's so special about Christianity is that there's a generosity of forgiveness from God that flows into a person that that experience enables them to overcome the hurt of a broken humanity through the power of God. And people go, man, how... How, do you, how did you release that? How come you have joy when so much pain has come in your life? And it's because of our relationship with God. Now, how deep does the forgiveness that we offer need to go? Well, that's our last point. Forgiveness involves releasing the person from the heart. And that's how Jesus finishes uh, this story. He tells the story about the unmerciful servant who... 
didn't resist his feelings, who didn't realize the destruction he would bring, who didn't repeat what God had modeled. And then he says this, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Those last three words, from your heart, is the difference between synthetic, intellectual, mental, and verbal forgiveness and authentic and inward, heart-driven forgiveness. And there is a huge difference. You know, when you're in relationships, you know when someone's truly forgiving you. Like when someone says, I forgive you. And they have that tone. And you can tell that they're saying the words, but they don't mean it from their heart. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can say the words, you can even materially forgive someone their debt or what they owe or what you feel they owe. You can forgive that too. But you know what? Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And forgiveness, in order for it to be authentic, has to come from your heart versus what? Only from your mouth or only materially. God wants a deep, spiritual, and emotional, authentic forgiveness. Now, can that take time to do? 100%, but he wants us to get there. Some of you are watching this this morning and you're really struggling with this. Maybe you said the words or maybe you wanna say the words to someone who's really deeply hurt you and release them and be generous with them like God was with you. And, and that's okay if it's a process, but God wants you to get there. God wants you to get to that place of relief because of how he has forgiven you. So that's how we apply our passage today. We need to remember the magnitude of our debt before God. We have to recognize what is truly needed. We need to resist feelings and act in faith if we're gonna forgive. We gotta realize the destruction that we will bring on ourselves, our relationships with God and people. We have to repeat what God has modeled and most importantly to God, you gotta release people uh, from your heart. That's true forgiveness. That's a true demonstration of what God does for us and wants to do in us and through us. So I know it's a battle. And just a couple of verses to close this out. Uh, one from Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Listen, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So you see that the Bible addresses this issue because God knows it's hard. And he gives us a powerful experience with himself and the redemptive work of Christ that when we see the level of generosity, we see the lengths that God went to, we see the love and mercy that flowed from him to us and we experience it for ourselves, there is an expectation of repetition. What does it look like? Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. You know, the world has been through a pandemic. People were shut in together. I know that there are some husbands right now that are listening to the sound of my voice. And during this time where you haven't been at work, but you've been at home, there's been uh, a lack of kindness, a lack of tenderheartedness, and a lack of forgiveness. And God is saying to you right now in this moment, just as God through Christ forgave you, you need to be kinder, be more tender, like God was with you, and you need to forgive people in your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, is a real motivator to 
really dive deep into our application points today. It says this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Did you see the picture? If you're gonna put energy in to your relationships with God and people, right? One of the places is the grace of God. You gotta focus on the grace of God and be grateful for the grace of God and the mercy of God. And when you're focused on the grace and mercy of God, you end up not allowing bitterness and resentment to take hold in your life. Why? Because grace and mercy defeat bitterness and resentment. That's what the Bible is saying. Watch out. Right? And some of you right now listening, you've been hanging on. You've been clutching to a lack of forgiveness. You're resentful and you're bitter. And it's like drinking poison thinking someone else is going to die. Your bitterness is not killing the person. It's not even impacting the relationship. It's just killing you. And God wants to tell you, you got to release that. You got to release that bitterness. And the way we release bitterness is we have an encounter with Jesus himself. And we look at Jesus for our own forgiveness. And we confess that anger and that bitterness. And we have his forgiveness go in and, and pull it up by the roots and yank it out of our lives so that like a weed, it doesn't spring up again and again and again. And so, the Bible is encouraging us this morning, men. Be diligent, be aggressive in terms of how you manage your heart, especially in the area of forgiveness because it's like a disease, right? We're all familiar with how fast certain diseases spread right now. And when that disease spreads, it corrupts everything and everyone in your life. And God's message to us this morning is let it go. You gotta let it go. That bitterness is killing you. That anger is killing you. It's not changing the situation at all. You need to receive the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. You need to give the forgiveness from God to other people in your life. And you need to be set free from the root of bitterness. Let's bow our heads and let's ask God to do those things. Jesus, right now, we confess how great a debt you relieved us of. Our sin was unpayable. We, we owed too much. It was unforgivable. But yet, in your generosity and your love, Jesus, you left heaven to pay the price, to relieve us of the burden of our debt before God. And we just want to say thank you. We want to say that we recognize the magnitude of what you did. And God, we receive your forgiveness. We receive Jesus afresh. We receive his forgiveness afresh. We feel, God, inside relief for what you did. And then, Lord, we, we confess, too, that our relationships are not perfect. We've held on to certain things. 
We haven't been as generous as you in our relationships with forgiveness and releasing people and being kind and being tender and being forgiving just as you through Christ were with us. And so we confess that, God. And Lord, we can't be like you unless we're filled with you. So Jesus, we pray that you would fill us with yourself. Fill us with the Holy Spirit of Christ. And then God, bring to mind right now people that we can offer forgiveness to. Bring to mind people that maybe that we have, we have, we have hurt, that we can ask their forgiveness, Lord, because that's what we need. And then, Lord, just help us to be generous when, and not, not make the small stuff big stuff. Why? Because you didn't make the big stuff big with you. Our big stuff, you canceled it. You forgave us. You washed us clean. So help us to be like you this morning. Father, I thank you for every man listening to me. I know that there are men who need to release people, and I pray for them. We all pray for every man right now where he's controlled by resentment and bitterness and a lack of forgiveness. And Lord, over every man, we declare freedom and release through the blood of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's men said, amen. Wow, powerful message this morning. But inspiration without application right, is hallucination. If you heard a word from the Lord this morning, make sure that you apply what God says because if you forgive people from the heart, you will be blessed. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching our national broadcast. If you felt connected to today's message, there's a couple of things that you can do. First, you can subscribe to our daily devotionals. Each day, you will receive via email a new man's daily devotional for you to go deeper in your walk with God. Now, second, you can sign up and be a subscriber to our Everyman platform. We have hundreds of custom curated curriculums for you and your men to do Bible study together. We also have special documentaries, films, and even music from our Dangerous Good Conference. We want you to be a part of our growing community of men that are being transformed daily to become what God always intended them to be. Now to subscribe, just go to our website at everymanministries.com and sign up today. Thanks so much for watching and God bless.